Welcome everyone to the Medspiration Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Nav, and this is episode number 20 with Dr. Christian Gonzalez. A new report out this morning says some popular fruit juices may contain heavy metal contaminants. Consumer Reports tested 45 packaged fruit juices for heavy metals like lead, arsenic, and cadmium. It found measurable levels in every product. More than 80% of parents with children three years old and younger give their kids fruit juices. Consumer Reports says the metals found in seven of the 21 samples had the potential to harm children who drink only a half cup per day. The CDC says long-term exposure to heavy metals may put people at risk for kidney disease, diabetes, high blood pressure, damaged ability to learn, and certain types of cancer. Eating too much fish might cause a buildup of mercury. Mercury builds up in the bodies of smaller fish, which get eaten by bigger fish, so the mercury starts building up there. This process is called bioaccumulation. Common fish like tuna and salmon can accumulate decent doses. So where does all that mercury come from? It's a natural element found throughout the environment. Some scientists think that it could be coming from hydrothermal vents, but it's much more likely it's thanks to human activity. We produce a lot of heavy metal waste from power plants and manufacturing industries. While some safeguards are in place, some facilities have serious leaks or disposal issues. So heavy metals like mercury get released into the air and then find their way into our water systems and head out to sea. There, the toxin builds up in fish, which turn the mercury into a toxic form, methylmercury. According to the EPA, nearly all fish and shellfish contain traces of methylmercury. Only 2.5% of the world's water is considered fresh water. In America, about 40% of the rivers and 46% of our lakes are polluted. Three out of four houses in the U.S. have tap water containing contaminants that exceed safety limits. About 21 million Americans drink water that violates U.S. health standards. So a 2017 investigation into about 680,000 water quality and monitoring violations from the EPA showed some astounding results. Largely, this is a result of six decades of industrial dumping, farming pollution, and water plant and distribution pipe deterioration. Dude, BPA is everywhere, right? Yeah, we in all plastic, plastic, right? Almost. Dude, all plastic, right? We have plastic dinnerware, Tupperware, receipts, children's toys. Um, you know, you get beans or t- canned tomatoes, the lining of it. These things are leaching into our food, right? Wow and then we're being exposed to it. They did, the CDC did a study of uh, 2,517 people and 93% of them had BPA in their urine, which is wild because BPA's half-life is only six hours. It gets out of the system pretty quick. That means that everyone is exposed to it every single day pretty much. And we know that at low doses, it has a estrogenic effect in the body. You know, you drink out of a plastic water bottle and you're not thinking that this can affect the endocrine system, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, it's just scary. You can actually see on a test the effect of xenoestrogens on the body because mm-hmm. a lot of these women will be metabolizing estrogen very poorly. They'll yeah. have really high levels and they'll be estrogen dominant. Mm-hmm. And then you'll go, all right, let's get rid of these foods from your diet. Let's, let's support your liver to detox that estrogen. Let's get rid of plastic and all that crap. You retest and all of a sudden it's balanced. It's pretty wild. Yeah, Symptoms of estrogen dominance are going away. Most companies that are transparent, if you request the heavy metals, that's not proprietary information. What I do need to see is the levels of pesticides, herbicides, heavy metals 
That's what I care about. Detox your home, especially if you have children with allergies. Think about it. Think about it. If your doctor isn't telling you what the environment is at home and your child's suffering from chronic allergies or chronic eczema or chronic bronchitis, chronic sinusitis, then it's time to think about what's in your home. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you're having a blessed day. Thank you so much for pressing play and tuning into the Medspiration Podcast, where our goal is to help you bridge the gap between medical science and your mind, body, and spirit. In this episode, we're bringing you my favorite naturopathic doctor. He goes by the name of Christian Gonzalez. He's a breast cancer expert, and we literally put together one of the densest, most information-rich podcasts in Medspiration history. Dr. G discusses environmental medicine, which includes toxins, heavy metals, BPA and plastics, mold, and more. We discuss the meaning of organic, how to improve brain health, COVID and the naturopathic ways to protect yourself from coronavirus. Now, if you know or if you've heard of Dr. G, he's notorious for his product reviews on his Heal Thyself podcast. That's why in today's show, he hits us with product reviews on antacids, soda, multivitamins, diapers, and baby formula. I'm so excited to get your feedback on this one, fam. Please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Make sure you tell every single person that you know and love about this show because it would mean the world to our team and it would help us medspire more individuals like yourself. And no matter where you are in the world, you can tag us on Instagram and we'll start a conversation with you. Tag us in your stories, share us in your posts, and we'll make sure we reach out. And now, without further ado, let the medspiration begin. Dr. Christian Gonzalez, thank you for joining us on the Medspiration podcast today. Ladies and gentlemen, today, we're going to be having a conversation with a man who's a naturopathic physician, a breast cancer expert, and one of the leading physicians in the world when it comes to environmental medicine. Christian, our team is filled with super fans of yours who listen to your Heal Thyself podcast weekly. And I can't tell you how excited I am to learn from you today. So without further ado, could you please introduce yourself to our audience? What a pleasure to even be on here before I even introduce myself, man. This is like really important for me to sort of like space the gap between all of our disciplines. And I think that this is the best approach for integrated medicine. As you mentioned, yeah, Dr. Christian Gonzalez, naturopathic physician. I'm very passionate about sort of what we love together, the mind-body medicine, the mind-body aspect, consciousness, what that does for health and what we're seeing, how medicine can be affected or meditation and yoga can be a core part of medicine, which, which is incredible. And environmental medicine, really like the stuff that we're exposed to every single day, the air, the water, what's going on our skin. This stuff is this stuff is something that we're not talking about, but plays a major role, especially in immune health, neurological health, endocrine, and the endocrine system. A lot, a lot of fire coming from both sides. I know we're two very passionate people, and that's why it's such an honor to be here, man. Thank you. That's awesome, man. I mean, I have to say there's so many topics and concepts that you discuss that MDs haven't been taught to look for, or even heard of. That's why my intention today is to dissect your mind and to gain some insight. Uh, we'll be talking about topics like toxins, metals, organic foods, mold exposure, and we'll even be getting some product reviews from you, which include antacids, soda, multivitamins, diapers, and baby formula. So you ready to rock and roll? I've been ready, man. <laughs> That's awesome. All right. Well, I wanted to start with your journey. Is it true that you originally started your career in dentistry school and then you became a naturopathic physician? 
Yeah, yeah. So uh, undergrad, I actually was going into business. I was doing economics. And I've always been very much so in touch with my intuition, my body. I started meditating in undergrad and college. And as I started doing that more, I started getting more clarity and being like, there's something, it feels like this shoe fits, but it's like two sizes too small. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't really fit, but I think it does. And as I started learning more about what means something to me as far as serving humanity, what that looked like, I started being pulled more into healthcare. And at the time, I, I grew up with really bad teeth and I was teased for it. And I, I had a lot of insecurity around it growing up. So for me, it seemed natural to go into orthodontics, right? And I wanted to be an orthodontist. And uh, that's when I started really going and put adding in the sciences, right? All those core sciences that we had to take. Oh, yeah. That, yeah, organic chemistry, chemistry, all that wild stuff. And then went into dental school. And I, I liked it, to be honest. I, I thought it was pretty cool. Still, that was one, one size too small to shoe. It was fitting better. I was in the right field, but the profession was off. And then out of divine intervention, in many ways, I had a life experience. Uh, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer at the end of my first year. And at the end of that first year, you know, really all I completed was all the core sciences. We were going on to more of the core sciences, anatomy, biochemistry, histology. And then we were starting to learn about the teeth, waxing the teeth. And then learning about what cancer was, really what it was, started changing my perspective. So I remember in my break, I was taking all of her appointments. I was really put off at one point when we, I personally asked the oncologist, well, what does she start eating? Because she's losing weight. And he, he had mentioned to eat calorically dense foods. And I'm like, like what? And then the foods he was naming really put me off, right? Like cakes, pastry, pizza. Oh. And I was like, that's not, it. I knew it. I, I just, I knew that that's not food, whether calorically dense or not, because they were thinking just from a macronutrient level, but that's okay. Then the RD came and she gave my mom uh, boost and insure. Mm -hmm. And, and this is very common in hospitals, but right. if you look at it, there's a lot of sugar in it, really processed ingredients, you know, refined sugars, colorings. And, and she was told to drink this three to four times a day. So instead I said, none of that. I really d dived into nutrition and I started making her food for her, making her calorically dense drinks for her. I made my own boost in insure basically to wow. add those calories, basically the same macronutrient profile I tried to add in there. But Still, I was at a place where I was being rubbed the wrong way as far as like, we need integration. We need better flow for this. So then I'm going back to school and she gives me this book to read. And I remember I'm on the plane and it was uh, the author was an ND. And I go, how can you make such a dumb mistake and put ND instead of MD? Like that, <laughs> I didn't under, I had no idea. And mind you, this is like my I'm already to uh, almost two years into school. And I get there and I, I start reading and I, I learned naturopathic doctor. Go, what the hell is that? So then I, I touched down, got to the computer. We didn't have uh, iPhones back then, so I couldn't just yeah. go on the cab. And then I finally started going and diving deep onto what it was. And that's when the shoe fit perfectly because I was like, this is exactly my philosophy on health, prevention. And then I said, I've never felt more aligned. And that, I never had an intuition really that strong wow. in my life. I even got intuition tattooed on my wrist after that. So I can never forget what that feeling was. And then that's sort of like the journey, how it started unfolding. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, she passed away in my first year, oh. but that really pioneered a path for me to be very much so passionate about prevention of breast cancer, prevention of cancers, prevention of chronic diseases and how we can help these folks early on so they're in a better place come long term.
term. That's so beautiful. So what's the difference between naturopathic and conventional medicine? In my perspective, they're both medicine, right? We both have practitioners with these amazing intentions to help people. The paradigms are different. But in my opinion, as we were talking before we got on here, where is a need for each other, right? Mm-hmm. Of course, there's NDs on one side who are going, we don't need any, you know, allopathic medicine. And then allopathic medicine, but we don't need any uh, naturopathic medicine or functional medicine. But when you really look at that middle of the Venn diagram, that's when you're maximizing these patient outcomes, man. Like I worked at an integrative hospital for my residency in oncology and it was day and night, the patients who elected to have support from both of us when it Mm -hmm. comes to side effects, long-term care, putting on weight. It's like when you add all the disciplines and the best of their, like, shoot, I don't know. I don't know much about pharmacology. I don't feel comfortable prescribing, you know, I, and you better believe if I break my leg, I'm going straight to the ER. I want the best, you know, uh, surgeon out there to fix my leg up. But on the other side, like we can offer a really good holistic approach, preventative approach. So for us, our generation, I hope as we get older, that integrative medicine starts really pioneering for us. Oh, yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. I'm a huge fan of that. I believe the more we work together, the better it gets. And it's funny you mentioned the insurer. Because uh, in the hospitals, we're still doing that. So uh, mm. I found that pretty interesting. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to get kind of deeper into that because um, I'm sure you'll educate all of us today. Yeah. On one, of, one of the best moments I've had on Instagram is when I did a whole piece on Boost and Insure. Oh. And there was a I, I think there was an oncologist or a nurse who worked on the oncologist team showed it. The oncologist basically, and this was in Toronto, pushed for the whole hospital to get rid of it. And they got rid of it after that story series. And I was like, well, damn, that, I mean, I, I'll get beautiful messages from people, you know, my, my dad's changing his life, my brother changed his life. But that was really meaningful to me because, because it really meant something to get rid of that stuff for patients because uh-huh. there's, be- there's better options out there, much better options. Wow. Okay. So what are some principles of naturopathic medicine? The tenets we go by, we have do no harm, which oh, is absolutely. All, all of us, right? We want to make sure that we're working. At, 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 that's That goes without saying. Okay. Something that we really hold on to is the healing power of nature. So meaning that when we cut our knees, for example, you and I, may, we can go over the mechanism. We could talk about ad nauseum. But when we cut our knee, we don't think about really that intelligence there that, that heals it, right? Right. When we, when we get a tooth pulled, there's scar tissue, and then it just repairs the gum. The same goes with the body, and we, you, we, we know about homeostasis, so really working with the healing power of nature is so important. Treating the cause, right? Mm-hmm. If, if you have heartburn all the time, well, let's go deeper into figuring out, well, why? You know, mm-hmm. it might not just be when you eat tomatoes, but it might be something deeper that's going on, maybe in your small intestine, stomach mm-hmm. acid, whatever it may be. The doctor as teacher, which is one that I'm really trying to live up, is bringing this education to everyone, prevention. Prevention is something that we love. So these are the, and treating the whole person. These are basically our tenets that we go by in the philosophies on how to really just approach health. I love it. You know, one of our producers, uh, student Dr. Varisha Singh, she said that one of her favorite parts about your podcast is the fact that you aim to empower listeners and give them as much knowledge as possible for them to make informed decisions when buying products. Um, Every podcast that you do contains product reviews and compares toxic profiles of different products and how transparent companies are when they talk about their ingredients. So Mm -hmm. I think it'll be important to define toxins first, and then we'll get into some specific thoughts about products and companies. So uh, let's start with toxins and heavy metals. Uh, What are toxins and heavy metals and how are consumers exposed to them? 
That's a good question, man, because I think this conversation needs to be more had amongst nutritionists, dietitians, uh, medical doctors, DOs, NDs, whatever it may be, chiropractors, just to have these conversations to inform the consumers out there. Because, man, I, I was operating in college when I was at the supermarket. I'm like, oh, well, it's on the supermarket shelf. It's It's got to be safe. But once I started understanding the full picture of basically the holes on how they bring in new products in there or chemicals coming into our system, but really how these things affect our health is something that kind of blew me away. So toxins and chemicals, heavy metals, they're, they're, they're chemicals, they're natural or synthetic, and they're present in our environment. Yep. And what we do know is that a lot of these chemicals are immune disruptors, endocrine disruptors, right? Mm -hmm. They affect our nervous system. Some are known carcinogens, right? And we're exposed to them through the air we breathe, the water we drink, the food we eat, the things we put on our skin, right? Before or after the shower, during the day. And they are present in smaller doses, but there's a cumulative effect. And that's, that's sort of the conversation we need to have more. And we start finding out that even at low doses, they're having endocrine disrupting effects, right? Wow. And that's, that's, that's something called a non-monotonic dose response, is that you know, we derive what the safe level is based on toxic levels, right? That's how we extrapolate it. What we're seeing is that even at low levels, these chemicals are having endocrine disrupting effects. That's a problem because those low levels are past what we FDA and EPA, or lower than FDA and EPA approves. Wow. So what's the link between toxic exposure and disease if there is one? That's that's a good question. It's a, it's a, it's a loaded question because we operate especially in toxicology, toxicology operates with the dose making the poison. Yeah. And the chronology is a little bit different, right? Yeah. Uh, because we'll, they'll look at actually what low doses do, as I, as I was talking about, right? Mm -hmm. But we don't take into account things like bioaccumulation over time. There are fat-soluble toxins out there. Not all of them are water-soluble, and we're just peeing them out right after we are exposed to them. But on top of that, we're they're ubiquitous. They're everywhere. We're continuously being exposed. We don't talk about entourage effect or synergistic effect of chemicals, how they affect us. We know that endocrine disrupting chemicals can have an additive effect. Mm -hmm. that's, in the, that's, that's out there in the literature. And then these dose-dependent studies are in a vacuum, right? We know what this chemical does at this level without understanding, like, what, what lotion out there is going to have one chemical. You look at it and there's at least 20 and yeah. fragrance fragrances in there and being an umbrella term for maybe hundreds hundreds of other chemicals. So that's sort of the problem that you start seeing. And as I mentioned, they've become bio biologically af active at a lower dose. Wow. Right? A, a lot of these, and, and I'll go into some of them which, which are biologically active. That's sort of the big issue that we're seeing in environmental medicine, right? Endocrine disrupting chemicals basically challenge that dogma of the dose the the dose makes the poison, and it's yeah. been a long it's been a long time challenging it, because wow. we know that you can be poisoned in an industrial accident with this chemical, but now we're seeing environmentally day to day exposures can be affecting us, right? And it's, and think about children who who oh. their 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 endocrine this system is just developing, their tissues are developing, their nervous systems are developing, how how vulnerable they are to these chemicals. So I think that's really and BPA that's that's one of the the, the yeah. ones that we see that effect at low levels affecting even it, so in animals the average level that we see in blood when compared to humans it's at, it's at a low level lower than epa lower than fda standards and these are xenoestrogens they affect they literally have an estrogenic effect on our body they bind those er receptors wow. right they they cause gene modification right mm -hmm. but it's not only that they, they don't just stimulate the receptors some can just bind and block normal hormone 
attachment. Some may have an antagonistic effect. So we really need to talk about these things more because look, dude, BPA is everywhere, right? Yeah. We in all plastic, plastic, right? Almost. Dude, all plastic, right? We have plastic dinnerware, Tupperware, receipts, children's toys. Um, you know, you get beans or t- canned tomatoes, the lining of it. These things are leaching into our food, right? Wow. And then we're being exposed to it. They did, the CDC did a study of uh, 2,517 people and 93% of them had BPA in their urine, which is wild because BPA's half-life is only six hours. It gets out of the system pretty quick. That means that everyone is exposed to it every single day, pretty much. And we know that at low doses, it has a estrogenic effect in the body. Wow. So let's say I'm, I'm walking around in a food market. What things can have toxins and heavy metals in them? Do all things have them? How's that work? No, not necessarily. I mean, heavy metals are naturally occurring. What what I bring to the surface when I talk about heavy metals on my show is what are the major sources of heavy metals, right? A lot of them, unfortunately, are in these health foods, right? We have cacao powder. People love cacao powder, right? Yeah. Chock full of polyphenols, wonderful antioxidants. But lead and cadmium are notorious to be present in, in chocolate and cacao. So that's why I did the whole research on the companies. I, I literally went over their certificates of analysis about like 25 companies and found the top ones, which had really low. Why, why is this important? Because one of the best ways to get rid of heavy metals for a woman in the body is to get pregnant because it's going to go straight to the placenta, to the baby. Uh-huh. Right. Mm-hmm. So for me, wow. it's like, wow, there's women who are pregnant, who are drinking cacao smoothies, thinking they're doing right by their baby. You know, the same thing goes with pea protein, like vegan vegan protein powders, the same thing. They want to get in more protein, they're pregnant, they don't know, and now they're getting a high dose of lead, cadmium, sometimes mercury, sometimes arsenic. And these these have known effects in the body. They affect our citric acid cycle. They build up in the fatty tissue because we don't just metabolize them really quickly. They build up in the tissues, particularly in the brain. So it's just, these conversations need to be spoken about more so mm-hmm. people are empowered enough to know where heavy metals are found. Sure, we get them in different t- types of produce that grow from the ground, you know, potatoes and, and let's say beets, but not at the level that they're getting when they're processed like protein powder, cacao mm-hmm. powder. So how or why did you decide to start doing product reviews? For me, it was a matter of like how to, how to empower the people. Like I said, I was, I was in college and I was seeing all these products and I had no idea. Yeah. You know, I was just buying whatever it was. So it's important for me, for pe- for someone to have guidance, especially mm-hmm. in these health foods. A lot of these product redu- re- reviews, I'm not reviewing like really like Lay's potato chips. I think we all know that we shouldn't be eating <laughs> those. But, uh, but I'm reviewing like foods that we're buying maybe from Trader Joe's or yeah. from Whole Foods even that kind of look good on the surface, but we just need to be more aware of that they might not be that good and we shouldn't, it shouldn't be a staple in our diet. You know, so how can consumers identify clean products? So to be honest, the best label right now is USDA organic because that is that standardizes things. Right. We know that 95 percent of the products or the ingredients in there are going to be organic, meaning synthetic uh, additives like synthetic pesticides, chemical fertilizers, antibiotics, hormones aren't in there. We know they're not being irradiated. There's no, they're not being mixed or derived from sewer sludge, genetic engineering. This is stuff that I don't think should be in our food system, period. Yeah. Uh, right? So for me, it's like, okay, well, and, and the other 5% is just on an approved list of things there. 
But at least we know there's standardization, particularly remember I was just talking about the additive effect of pesticides, right? Mm -hmm. The additive effect of herbicides, insecticides. We don't know yet. The low dose, right? I was talking about BPA, but I didn't mention there's other pesticides, herbicides, insecticides, same thing, non-monotonic yeah. dose response. We're at low levels. They're affecting our endocrine system. I, I meet people where they are financially, right? If they go, I can't afford organic, then which ones can we eat? How can we incorporate vegetables and fruits to your diet, number one? And mm -hmm. then we go from there. That's sort of the, the, what pushed me to do these um, product reviews and how, how I look at clean as a whole. Clean as a whole, really, you look for the organic. Now, organic doesn't mean no heavy metals, yeah. right? Organic oh. means the things that I mentioned, but it doesn't measure heavy metals. So uh, that's why I sort of do the work in heavy metals because you don't know. A lot of the organic pea protein powders had high level heavy metals. Organic cacao had high heavy metals. So that's why I spoke about the best ones out there. Heavy metals are really important to talk about. We don't, we don't look because they're sort of, they're, they're, they just hang out. They're subacute. They just, they build up in our yeah. system and they slowly have an effect on our body, but they love building up in our bones, in our fat, in our brain, yeah. right? And, and we know this and it can cause neurological effects. It affects the citric acid cycle. So I think heavy metals, we should have a whole a whole semester on just heavy metal in, in, in school, just so we understand better how it affects our patients. Wow. So what is greenwashing? Okay. So greenwashing is pretty much the, it's a position that a company takes basically and okay. showing that they're dedicated to high quality ingredients, right? Or, or dedicated to the environment. Now that's great and all, but a lot of companies are jumping on that trend. Yeah. Right? I know you noticed in the past 10, 10 years, there's been a, just a change in trend of like organic and clean and right. Every, everyone yeah. wants to be more health conscious, which is great for us and our patients. But a lot of these companies are capitalizing it and they're using buzzwords, buzzwords like green, natural, non-toxic, simple. Right. Okay. But, mm -hmm. but, but what's that mean outside of the packaging? Yeah. You know, what, what are your, what are your certifications telling me? What do the ingredients tell me? Mm -hmm. So people get fooled because they'll go to somewhere like Trader Joe's or, or Whole Foods or even their local supermarket and be like, oh, duh, like this says clean dishwasher, dishwasher detergent, green, it has a leaf on it. Let yeah. me buy it. <laughs> you know, not, not knowing that there's some chemicals in there, again, where we're talking about synergistic effect, additive, additive effect, low dose effect. And you know what? Like, I have no problem speaking out against companies that are doing that actively. Good. Be yeah. Because that's, that's us, right? That's, that's your cousin. That's my aunt. Right. That's our that's our families who are being exposed to who have no idea. And then every day they're trying to do better by their health, but they're not necessarily doing it. And it's not just clean supplies. It's food. It's everything. Yeah. So, yeah, a lot of companies greenwash out there. There's a lot of that. I mean, I just I watched a recent documentary with my wife. I'm a huge recycler. Growing up in California, you know, when this whole recycling hype happened, I was on board. I was like, man, we need a, a great way to get rid of these plastics. Mm -hmm. And after watching this documentary, I learned that only like 10% of the actual plastics that we recycle actually get recycled. The rest of them just get shipped to other countries and they're just dumped basically. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that that kind of blew my mind because I thought it was like a one-stop shop, like fix it all. And I was like yeah. – I'm a recycler. Do you recycle? But then like when you start looking a little deeper, you see a lot of false promises and it's kind of it's enlightening, but it also lets you down a little bit, you know, a little bit. And actually, I didn't even know that. So now I'm let down because I'm always oh, recycling, man. feeling good about myself. That's pretty wild to hear. 
Yeah, I'm I'm starting to work on like I don't use single use plastics anymore because because those are just you know you use them once and you throw them out. I did a lot of that. I usually just drink water bottles, you know. So now I've been actually mindful enough to buy huge jugs of water, like a couple gallons, and then mm-hmm. using like a, a glass or actually yeah. having like a water bottle that I take. Yeah, a hundred percent. That's perfect, man. That's a perfect way for the environment. It's a good way to stay from, away from BPA, right, and all those other toxins. Glass, stainless steel, fill it up. You know, you go to work, you know, and you're also keeping track of your water. You know yep. that, okay, look, I drank this much of my glass bottle. I, I need a little bit more on the regular. Yeah. So it's a great way to keep track of it, too. Yeah, we had a reproductive endocrinologist on a few episodes ago, and she was talking about BPA and how it can actually impact fertility. And, and that's something I feel like, you know, you drink out of a plastic water bottle and you're not thinking that this can affect, again, that's a part of the endocrine system, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, it's just scary. That's a scary thought to to know, but I think it's important to talk about those things because we can demand change. You know, I, know, I know change is slow, but it starts with actually just getting down to the basics and understanding how and what is affected, you know? Yeah, a hundred percent. Like, you can you can actually see on a test the effect of xenoestrogens on the body because mm-hmm. a lot of these women will be metabolizing estrogen very poorly, but yeah. have really high levels and they'll be estrogen dominant. Mm-hmm. And then you'll go, all right, let's get rid of these foods from your diet. Let's let's support your liver to detox that estrogen. Let's get rid of plastic and all that crap. You retest and all of a sudden it's balanced. It's pretty wild. Yeah, Symptoms but- of estrogen dominance are going away. For, wow. Also for men, estrogen dominance, you know, so it's an important conversation. I'm glad you have that that um, person on your podcast because enlightening us about these small changes that we can make mm-hmm. is is huge, is huge for our health long term. 100%. Now, you actually mentioned uh, USDA organic foods. Uh, I kind of wanted to touch on that about diet and organic foods in general. So mm-hmm. there's a dirty dozen, clean 15. Yeah. What does that mean? And what, can you tell us more? Yeah, yeah, 100%. So when it comes to the Dirty Dozen and Clean 15, this is by an environmental working group. Every year they come out with a list of the Dirty Dozen, meaning the 12 foods that need to be bought organic and the Clean 15, those which do not need to be bought organic. And they do an analysis every year and it's on the percent of samples tested with uh, pesticides, the samples with two or more pesticides, the number of pesticides found, average number, concentration. So they put together all this data and you can even go on their website and they'll tell you about the methodology. But- Mm -hmm. It's important because this, we know that, again, going in that conversation, the synergistic effect, bioaccumulation, low dose, even uh, affecting our endocrine uh, endocrine system. It's important because what we see is folks who switch from a conventional produce diet to organic have lower urinary pesticide levels. Okay, so there's a measurable effect that we know. Well, lower urinary pesticide levels are are associated with, we talked about fertility, improved fertility outcomes, right? Mm-hmm. Reduced incidence of Hodgkin's lymphoma, lower uh, lower BMIs. Now, of course, there's confounding factors because people who usually eat organic are healthier, they're not smoking, they're maybe uh-huh. working out more. Mm-hmm. But for me, when it comes to looking at organic foods as a whole, we know they're more nutritious when it comes to vitamin, minerals, and antioxidants. But until there's long-term trials, we can't say, yes, organic food is, you only need to eat this. But Right now, there's enough evidence for me to the the difference in price to put in that money for mm-hmm. organic food as a whole. 
right? So I think the EWG does a really good job, at least about guiding it. So those foods basically that are on the dirty dozen are those which have the highest amount of pesticide residues, pesticide concentration. And yes, you can get rid of some of them if you wash them conventionally, conventional produce, but some of them are going to be seeped into the, basically the tissue of the food. But yeah, it's a good guide. You go to the supermarket. I mean, organic food is going to be about 10%, 30% more. Yeah. So think about where you are with your budget. If you're on a tight budget, and you can only buy some organic food, then go with the Clean 15 Dirty Dozen. Buy some of them, you know? Buy your berries, buy your leafy greens and spinach, right? That's important to buy. Whereas like pineapple, watermelon, avocados, you know, these hard shell foods, you don't really need to worry about that being organic. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the the list of the Dirty Dozen foods, the, at the top of the list was strawberries, which yeah. you know, my wife eats strawberries every morning. So I'm always like, make sure those are organic because supposedly, uh -huh. yeah. And this is common food, strawberries, spinach, nectarines, apples, yeah. grapes, peaches, cherries, pears, tomatoes, celery, potatoes, and sweet bell peppers. Those are the 12 dirty dozen right now, which are recommended that you buy those organic because they're going to have less pesticides on them, right? Mm -hmm. uh, do you have the list of clean 15? What are those right now? I don't have them on me. Um, I put a post on it, a, a pretty recent post on my page uh, <laughs> where I did a little slide of all of them. Oh, so I you saw can look that. on there. Awesome. Yeah, but all you need to do, do is go to e Shopper's Guide, EWG, Clean 15, Dirty Dozen. You mm -hmm. can take a screenshot of it. You can write it on the notes on your phone. Just use it as a guide. And it's, it's helpful, especially if you have children, right? Oh, yeah. Because children are particularly sensitive to these pesticides, mm -hmm. right? You can look up data on the different pesticides effect on children's developing brain, on their neurological oh, yeah. system, immune system. So again, long-term studies we need to see, but yep. still, I, for me, I've seen more than enough in understanding environmental medicine. So I'm like, all right, why not? You know, instead of going out to eat, you know, one more time a week, I'll just put that up for my food. You know, mm -hmm. if, if we're on a budget, just think about where you could just take away just to add more for long-term. 100%. I couldn't agree more. And so how do you advise your patients to approach food when you speak with them? Again, like meeting them like right in the middle where they are. That's that's the most important part for me because not everyone can afford to buy full organic based on their finances. But I'll teach them, you know, you can wash. You can use one part vinegar, four parts water, some some lemon and start using that as a produce wash. That's really helpful. And but the most important thing for me, get them off the standard American diet, get off the inflammatory yeah. foods, right? Reformed carbohydrates, vegetable oils, trans fats, all the alcohol, soda, all the stuff wow. that we want to get the, our patients off of. Because for me, one of the biggest things I've seen is when people get off standard American diet, start eating healthier, more more plant food. Yep. It, it's wild. I, I haven't seen any medicine work as good from any side. I than agree. That of lifestyle and diet. So I agree. We got it. We got to start pushing that hard for our patients or just the public health as a whole. Oh, yeah. And that's what we were, we were just talking about, that 80 percent of the disease in the United States can be prevented with a, a good diet, not smoking and avoiding alcohol and exercising. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. that's that's pretty interesting. It's a simple modification. But, you know, the the patient population that I deal with, we're a federal federally qualified health program. And. You know, so we see a lot of sick, ill patients that aren't able to have access to healthcare, And, you know, 
A lot of them drink soda first thing in the morning. Mm-hmm. A lot of them don't even drink water early in the morning, you know? And it's yeah. it's just like these simple things. And then it accumulates throughout the day. They're, they're smoking cigarettes, but then they're eating fast food. And maybe over the course of a day, that doesn't seem like it will impact you. But when you do that for 30, 40 years straight, and then you start seeing the chronic diseases that they end up getting, you start realizing, wow, it's these little changes that can be made. And you know, it's tough. It's not as easy as just like, okay, I can quit now. Because when you're really talking with these patients, you realize this has become their lifestyle now. And it really has to be like one thing at a time, cutting down on one thing and then like trying something new. But I've seen patients, once they start eating a little bit better and even just drinking water in the morning, their body rewards themselves. They realize they have more energy and, you know, they slowly start making that change. And that's, that's so important. Yeah, some of the most the most incredible thing about humans is we adapt so well to situations. Yeah. So we forget what it's like to feel vibrant and thriving, right? Mm-hmm. So yep. over so many years, eating like crap, drinking soda, smoking, not working out, all of a sudden we start making those small changes. We go, Jesus, this is what it's well, like well, to live. Way better. Yeah, yeah. So so I think that's really something that we need to push. I mean, we are, but more. Right. More oh, yeah. public health, public education. It's huge right now. Oh, yeah. I'm big on practicing what I preach. So, you know, I make sure that I exercise and I eat right and that I'm in good shape because you know I don't want to preach something that that I personally don't do myself. Mm-hmm. And uh, because I've been implementing lifestyle changes in my life for the last 10, 15 years now, and, and I noticed a change, you start realizing that when you don't do something in particular, like if I don't exercise, if I don't meditate, or if I don't eat right, after a while, your body starts telling you, oh, you got to change that back, man, because this isn't going to work long term, you know? So it's kind of cool that feedback you start getting from your from yourself when you start paying attention to it, too. Yeah, learning more about your body is is the most incredible thing to feel oh, when, yeah. you're, when you're quote unquote off, to feel. People forget, they live with so much pain or discomfort where mm-hmm. we just forget what it's like. So putting ourselves in touch going, oh, you know what? I ate that meal and I don't think I'm doing well right now with garlic. Let me take a step back. For me, I know when I don't meditate, my mind is crazy when I don't meditate. Oh, oh yeah. A, a thousand yeah. thoughts a day, I'm running like a madman. But when I meditate, I go, oh yeah, duh. I, I, this is all I needed. Yep, yep, same man. It's been, I think, almost seven years now I've been consistently meditating and uh, Love it. life changing. We talk about it on this podcast like crazy. So what's your diet like? Mm. Yeah, so um, I have been a vegan for 11 years now, wow. um, and that was based on spirituality, right? And and just the oneness, the non-separation that you feel when you meditate. Yeah. I just wanted to put that into my, you know, the way I live my life. So that was that was really part of it. But really nice thing was, I always bordered on not high cholesterol, but it was elevated, and that went down pretty fast, wow. like over the first six months of of eating vegan, which was really interesting for me. It's been easy. Um, I've, I've never been a huge meat eater in the first place. So that transition was easy. It is, it is trendy, but I do think that a lot of people are doing it wrong and eating foods that are not whole food based, that are not eating variety. And then they go, Oh, it didn't work for me. My stomach was a mess. I broke out and this and that. But I think that we need better education on how to transition out of a standard American diet to more healthy whole food diet, because I'm not dogmatic about my own diet. I am dogmatic about getting plants, getting a variety, rainbow of colors of fruits and vegetables in your diet. I don't care if you're paleo. I don't care if you're keto. I don't care if you're vegan. 
you got to get that in there and put that as a majority of your plate because that's where we're getting those powerful, powerful phytonutrients for our health. Oh, yeah. Plant-based, whole foods, uh, all across the board. It's it's not even close. That's, that's the direction to head, definitely. And it doesn't mean like me myself, I do eat meat, but as I've gotten older, my body tells me myself, like I, I need mostly vegetables. I try to stick with the leafy green vegetables more so, um, and getting fruits. And I know I need that way more than I need the meat. So, I mean, I remember at one point in my life, I was eating meat for breakfast, lunch, dinner, and it slows you down. You start, you feel tired throughout the day. And now if I am going to eat meat, it'll be once a day, once every other day. You know, as you start hitting that 30-year-old threshold, I'm 29 right now. Uh, it's funny because I feel like food becomes more, more so medicine even as you get older because uh, you rely on it for energy. You know, mm-hmm. so so at this point, I think I could have eaten like a pack of bacon with a bunch of eggs when I was like 17, and I felt great afterward. Now sure. if I do that, dude, I. <laughs> Man, yeah, <laughs> yeah we are good. so yeah, we are so much more sensitive to like overall inflammation now as we get older, which is why that whole the whole the whole point of eating healthier as we get old. I mean, eating healthier overall, but as we get older, man, it is like next level having consistency in eating because you better believe if I'm not eating fruits or vegetables for two days, I'm yeah. feeling slow. I'm feeling slow. Oh, yeah. I'm feeling exhausted, you know, but what? what making a smoothie or a juice starts getting me back on back on pace, man. It's powerful. It's interesting. You talked about how meditation made you more mindful with food. Uh, I felt the same thing. Like I, I realized over time meditation made me I intermittent fast now. It made me start wanting to fast because I felt more clarity during meditation, um, not eating food, you know? Mm-hmm. And and it's interesting how it did start shifting my choices in the foods. And I actually started paying more attention to how I felt. So yeah the mind body right it like when you meditate you are so much more aware of your body right all of a sudden that pain that you've had all day you're like ooh, ooh, my knee is off right now so it connects you closer to your body so it would be natural to assume that again when our waking life when we're out of meditation that these we can be so much more sensitive to not only just foods but our emotions how people affect us right their energies damn man meditation i talk about it so much because it's like it is such a powerful, powerful tool for overall health. So every day it, when I'm in the clinic or in the hospital, I have patients who have acid reflux or GERD. Many of them take antacids. So could you do some product reviews for us and tell us what you've learned about antacids? Yeah, I mean, antacids are a great way to uh, basically palliate those symptoms of heartburn, which are really they can be pretty bad. Some people yeah. can think they're even having a heart attack. They heart attack, we get that, yeah. Yeah, but uh, it's just heartburn, especially if they're feeling it for the first time. So they can be really helpful, right? The um, the calcium is, is reducing that stomach acid. You can do that with, with Tums, okay? The thing is people overuse them. People are using them all the time. Yeah. Right? Every day. And that's a that's a problem when it's affecting our stomach acid. Not mm-hmm. only is it is it reducing uh, our digestion of food, but it's also reducing how we're breaking down vitamins or producing vitamins like B12, exactly. zinc. Really important for us to have a good amount of stomach acid, strong, strong, robust stomach acid. There is, from our herbal standpoint, uh, licorice, 
deglycerinated licorice, which is also helpful at coating the esophagus if you have heartburn, which is another option to Tums. Now they don't come in just licorice flavor. They have like chocolate flavor, cherry flavor. So that's another option for folks. But really, again, it's getting to the root cause. Do you have an issue with your small intestine, your overgrowing bacteria that's causing pressure into the stomach? It's opening up the valve and that's leaking. You know, we just have to get to the root cause of the GERD first. But I mean, like for me, Tums are okay every now and then. Yeah. Please don't overdo the Tums. And then getting to the root cause. Why do you have heartburn? Because you you can't be living your life you know, potentially developing Barrett's esophagus, which is, you know, we, as we know, uh, can predispose to esophageal cancer. We don't want that. You know, we want to get to the root cause. So uh, that, that would be the way I'd go about it for, for that. There's not many products out there for. Yeah, there's not. Yeah. You know, when it comes to PPIs, I think if they are used, they should be used for short term. Mm -hmm. I think, especially if someone has this, uh, you know, relentless heartburn going on, then okay. But I don't think that they're made for long term. Certainly not. Reducing stomach stomach acid can be dangerous, especially as I just mentioned, how it affects the our vitamin and mineral absorption. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Agreed. So another thing we just spoke about was sodas. You know, uh, like I said, a lot of people drink soda first thing in the morning, and I saw that you had a podcast on that. Um, so could you give us some reviews about some sodas? Which sodas are yeah. better than others? If yeah, 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 for sure. One of the best ways to get off the standard American diet is stopping the soda first. You will notice your cardiometabolic markers go down, your weight will go down. So getting off of soda and it's it's so weird for me because I've been I haven't drank soda in so many years. But to to be experiencing that people still drink soda often, it's wild to, to see that because, you know, we have we'll have an eight ounce can with about 30 grams of sugar, you know, and that's yeah. maybe one or two sodas. So what what I reviewed are different carbonated drink options. You know, there's oh, the okay. Z, there's the Zevia one, which is which is okay. It's pretty good. Lacroix and Zevia, they're mm-hmm. flavored sodas. The thing is, some people are particularly the flavor of stevia as an aftertaste. So if you are, then you know, I don't know what to tell you. Those are they're they're sweet <laughs> with stevia. The one that I like is the Ali Pop. That's a new soda that's out. The reason I like it is because they are uh, basically infused with prebiotics. And there's there's a measurable amount of prebiotics that will be helpful for your digestive system. So there is some fiber that you're getting in the soda, which is sweet with stevia, three grams of sugar. Not, no association, but I will drink – when I want a cola fix, mm-hmm. I'll, just, I'll just – I'll drink that. So they come in cola, strawberry, and root beer. So – you can try it out, you know, uh, they're new on the market as of like past eight months, six months, but is that Olipop? Is that what you called it? Olipop. Okay. Okay. Very Yeah. Cool. Check those out. But yeah, please like get off the Pepsi, get off the Coca-Cola yeah. every single day. Try those other options that I mentioned. Drink, drink tons of water. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think that if we are c- continuously hydrated, our impulses to drink more sugary foods are going to be reduced. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, how about multivitamins? Uh, I myself take a multivitamin every day. Uh, The majority of my patients, I recommend it. Um, What are some product reviews you have on some multivitamins? So the most important thing about multivitamins is to understand what you're looking for. Not all multivitamins are created equal. You have some that have the the doses. they're They're not therapeutic. When you see RDA, that RDA is just to prevent the deficiency, right? The RDA for vitamin C is to prevent scurvy. 
for us, we want therapeutic doses, stronger, higher doses of the formula of vitamins and minerals. You can look for certain labels, NSF or GMP. Those mm -hmm. are third-party testing that is telling us, okay, what's in there is pure. What's in there doesn't have the contaminants. You know that the strength is ensured, the composition of it, the quality of it. That's sort of like the USDA organic label. Okay. And NSF or GMP. You also want to make sure that you are looking that it's not, they don't have food uh, or synthetic colorings, preservatives, sugar, binders. A lot of these, like let's say Centrum, it's not a good multivitamin. I oh. used to take it when I was in college, but look at the back of it. Look how long the list of other ingredients are, and you'll see food coloring, um, the synthetic food coloring, binders, colors, uh, oh. all of these additives and preservatives. And then you'll look at not only the levels of the vitamins are pretty low, but the forms of them are less absorbable ones, right? Oh. If you get magnesium, you don't want magnesium oxide. Magnesium oxide is not going into the blood, really. It's staying, mm -hmm. in, the, it's staying in the stomach. It's really good if you constipate it. Not really good if you want magnesium's effects on the rest of the body. So pay attention to the forms that are in it too. A lot of people have the NTHFR mutation, so they're not breaking down or absorbing the B12. Uh, cyanocobalamin is most popular, but not a, a lot of folks aren't getting enough B12 from there. So the methylcobalamin, which is the more activated form, try to check for those. See if your B12 in your multi is methylcobalamin because, or if you've never gotten checked by MTHFR. And be careful with Amazon. Amazon, if you're getting it not from the company itself, mm -hmm. you can you can be getting, let's say, 90% of vitamin C on, on Amazon is coming from China and India, which uses like these subpar ingredients, toxic stuff. Yeah. Um, yeah. So be it's a real the counterfeit industry. I've seen it, man. I've seen like high quality professional supplements counterfeit. You open it up, the the pills are a different color. The labeling is weird. It's a big it's a big thing that's happening right now. Some of the best multivitamins, there's professional brands out there that are like Thorn, Pure Encapsulation, Metagenics, Phytomulti, which is the one that I use. Those are some of, in my opinion, the best multis that are out there. I think that Garden of Life makes a good whole food, organic ones, vegan ones out there too. But those are some of the ones that, that I really like. Those are professional brand supplements. Good to know. You know, it's interesting you bring up the, the counterfeiting online. Um, we did a podcast on vaping. And that's actually very, very big. What caused the vaping epidemic was people just basically counterfeiting brand names and, and selling anything online. And people just trust the brand. So that's where you really do have to be really careful when you're buying stuff off of the Internet, including yeah. Amazon, which uh -huh. we don't think about, you know. Now, if it's on Amazon, doesn't mean that it's real. Yeah. Right? Just just remember that. Yeah, very true. Uh, next, I wanted to talk about brain health. So uh, you talk about brain-derived neurotrophic factor. Uh, I always, I've been talking about it for a while now. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about it? BDNF is like my favorite stuff. Brain health is some of my favorite stuff, man. Absolutely. Because you'll notice as we get older, I feel like my brain is not working like it was when I was 21. So now yeah. I have to biohack my brain so much more. Yep. And, and that's okay. But BDNF is basically, it's a growth, it's like growth hormone for the brain, right? It comes yep. from a family of proteins and it's basically helping survival and development of, and the function of those neurons, mm -hmm. right? Which is so, so, so important, right? It's, it's a brain vitality uh, chemical, boosts communication between the neurons, helps long-term memory. What we see for BDNF is that it's reduced in those with dementia and even those with a predisposition, like a family history of dementia, they have lower BDNF. It's also determined by sex and age, as we mentioned, as we're aging with oh, BDNF. Yeah. 
So it's it's my favorite thing because we can we can actually hack it to increase BDNF, increase brain health. It's one of the like the main highways, the main routes for better brain health. Yeah. So how how can you maximize it? What are some ways? Right. So when it comes to BDNF, it helps with neurogenesis. As we as as you know, it's it's the growth of new brain cells and then neuroplasticity, which is basically having those new connections so they're communicating more efficiently. And you know what else does that? Meditation, right? Oh yeah. Meditation helps that that plastic brain with make new connections. But we can upregulate BDNF. One of the major things is physical activity, which is Absolutely. why as we get older, we need to make sure we're exercising more. So there's actually a two to threefold increase of BDNF the more we exercise, wow. which is wild. And to piggyback that, we'll see that the more intensity of the exercise, the more BDNF. So it's not walking is beautiful. Get, get moving. I'm all about movement, period. But if you are dedicating yourself to an exercise, make sure it's you're, you're breathing hard because that's going to increase BDNF more than just, you know, having a, I'm at the gym, lifting some weights, talking on the phone, chatting with my friend, going back to the weights. So when we want to optimize it, okay. you mentioned intermittent fasting, intermittent fasting does help increase BDNF, mm -hmm. deep sleep for all of the residents out there who are Big listening. Deal. You yeah. got to make sure you got to try to get deep sleep when you can. It's so, so important for everything. I'm huge on sleep, done a whole podcast on sleep for that reason, mm -hmm. but deep sleep is really, really helpful for that yoga, meditation, as we mentioned, polyphenol-rich foods. Cloves are actually some of the most rich polyphenol foods out there. I don't necessarily like them, but yeah. very rich. Co cocoa powder, berries, apples, plums, beans, nuts, legumes. Again, whole foods, right? Plant-based oh. foods. Yep. That's why we get variety. That's why we make our plate full of them, because those polyphenols are helping not only our brain, but other things. And it's possible that sun exposure does help BDNF. Don't know that fully yet. But what we do know reduces BDNF is stress, mm -hmm. lack of movement, lack of exercise, social isolation oh, reduces wow. BDNF, which is wild. When I saw <laughs> that, I, it was interesting. I wanted to read up more about BDNF. And then again, social isolation came up. I go, oh, yeah, I talked about this. And it didn't mean anything to me when I did the podcast on BDNF. But now I'm like, oh, my God, is my this is all more reason why in social isolation we need to move and work out. Yeah, and yeah. Take care of yeah. our bodies because our brain health and then high sugar diet and then just not using our brain, right? Like yeah. we need to challenge ourselves. We need critical thinking every single day, puzzles, something. Oh yeah. It's funny you mentioned the social isolation. I think the, the first time that really hit home was when they did studies on infants and infants that, that don't get enough love. They basically, they have failure to thrive and die. And that's when, you know, it kind of hit home for me where, wow, as humans, like we really need a deep loving connection with those around us. And then, you know, you go into like the Rosetto effect where people who are in large communities together, people who live in homes with uh, at least three generations, grandparents, parents, and children, they, they have a lower likelihood of heart disease, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's beautiful. It's so cool because then when, when you think about why we're designed the way we are, why we're designed to connect, for some reason, those things are linked to better health, you know? Pretty awesome to think about. Yeah, and I did a whole show on community for this wow. reason. I spoke yeah. about the, the baby study, and I also mentioned about pain, reduced pain, right? Oh, yeah. Um, depression, yeah. women with breast cancer, post-treatment, relapses, right? This is all important stuff, how the importance of feeling or belonging to any community. This is why I ask, anytime I have a new patient or working with someone, I ask at some point in my intake, what sense of community do you have? Do you have friends? Do you have, yeah. aside from just like your husband or your wife, 
What else do you have? Who supports your ideas, your art, something mm-hmm. that is important to you? Where, where do you find that community? So we need to we need to talk about that more for sure. Like in the next months, in the next years, my 2020 top health interventions community was on my top five of the year. Oh, that's beautiful. So now we know the importance of community. And look at us, we're in social isolation. I haven't seen my friends in forever. I don't even I know, know what it's right? like. It's wild right now. It's as funny for us. Uh, I'm a first year resident. So, you know, I got pretty used to isolation. So at this point, it's pretty normal to me. But I realize, yeah, most people aren't used to like not seeing, you know, the, the people that they're closest to basically. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, Next, I wanted to touch on mold exposure. So what what is mold? Yeah. So, uh, well, mold is, it's a fungus basically, and Mm -hmm. it grows present in the home. The mold we're going to talk about, it's everywhere, but we'll talk about the ones in the home because we want to talk about environmental medicine. Mold ubiquitous. We evolved with mold. There's different categories of it. You'll uh, aspergillus, penicillium, stachyboitrus, which is the black mold. And they grow in places which are usually dark and moist, sometimes water damage. We're talking about like in the bathroom, around the tub, in the sinks, under the cabinets, in the vents. Sometimes it's behind the wall, behind the baseboards. But it's not a big deal for most people, actually. 75% of us, all right, there's some mold. It might affect me a little bit. But for the 25% of us, Mm-hmm. We can't metabolize the mycotoxins that mold makes. So mold releases these spores and these spores have mycotoxins on them. We breathe them in and they have a physiological effect on our body. And mm-hmm. it has a whole slew of symptoms that can be mistaken and misdiagnosed. So 50%, it's estimated that 50% of homes in America have mold. Wow, so, I didn't know that. 50? Yeah, 50%, oh. which is wild. And 25% have the genetic mutation where we cannot break down those mycotoxins efficiently. Me being one of them. My experience with mold, I never had a problem with it. Really, I've never lived in a moldy place. I moved into a moldy place in Venice, California. And I'll tell you, man, my health went, I never had health problems. My health went in two months down the drain. I had memory loss, short-term memory loss. Like we would have a conversation. I might I might forget what you said two minutes ago. The whole BDNF part, I, I would yeah. forget <laughs> the whole conversation. I would forget uh-huh. we just talked about community. Brain fog, polyuria, polydipsia. Yeah. And and what is that? You know, And it's interesting because the body has this mechanism to get rid of those mycotoxins through drinking a lot of water and peeing them out. It's wild exactly. how the body exactly. is doing that. But I had some neuropathy, these static shocks at night, fatigue, appetite reduction. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? I thought about it being mold. I took a mycotoxin test in my urine. You see high levels of those mycotoxins, especially black mold. So I see black mold in my urine really high. I, I have this guy come in who's really who's known around the L.A. area. He comes, checks, checks out the whole place, takes these swabs and air samples and really high was black mold, oh, the wow. same exact species in my urine. And it, was, it wasn't until I removed myself out of that home that I started recovering. I needed to leave, and then I started really recovering. And it's, it's been about close to a year already, and I'm about at 90% back to where I was, but it's been a very slow process, man. Like, you, those mycotoxins have affected, for sure, how sharp, fast, witty, my mm-hmm. memory, like, it's just not yet the same fully. So we need to talk about that more because, you know, you can, you can present with just sinusitis, you know, like something that looks as just like plain old allergies and allergists wouldn't, you know, they, they go, okay, you might, you you know, you're allergic to pollen and a few other things, take this Claritin, but it's not helping. And your child is getting worse. Then we really need to think about, well, what's going on in my home? What's the air quality? Like, do we have water damage? Right. Cause you don't always see mold, 
but you can get someone to check it out for you. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. You could get recurrent migraines, immune dysfunction, mm-hmm. chronic respiratory problems, very common, mm-hmm. personality changes, including disassociative states, um, histamine issues, and dysautonomia. Yes. Yeah. Chemical sensitivity. So actually, I didn't meet. So this, this disassociative state did happen to me. It was wild. Wow. I, when it was at its peak, I remember I was talking, having a conversation with someone, and it seemed so not real that I said to myself, I'm like, this is like a video game. This isn't real. This is like a movie. And I'm just observing this conversation. I'm not in it. Or like it's a dream and it's not real. Yeah. And that's when it finally hit me. I was like, this is bad. This is bad. It's affecting like the way I'm just going about my life. So yeah. it's mold is mycotoxicity is very real. There's data on it. We, we can measure it. And I've helped a lot of people change their health just by addressing this. And it's had long-term effects. So I think that we need to talk about that more too. Oh, absolutely. So h- how can one protect themselves from mold exposure? Well, you can, you can take the urine test with a functional mm-hmm. doctor, naturopathic doctor, or whoever else is testing for it. But really looking at your home, looking if there's water damage. If you know that you had a pipe burst and that wasn't remediated, you probably have water damage. You know, if oh, there's yeah. leaks around your tub, there's water damage. If there's buckling of the wood, there's vis- visible changes in the colors. Just check out, do a, do a test around your home and see, but you can always have a professional come in and really test it for you. They'll use moisture meters, they'll swab, they'll check the air. I think it's so, so important, particularly like statistically as we think, 25% of us, that's a family of four. You know, you're fine, your wife is fine, your daughter's fine, but what about your son who has chronic allergies, respiratory, chronic, chronic uh, respiratory infections, wow. bronchitis? We think that they just, you know, have a poor constitution, they're getting sick all the time, when in the meantime, the root cause could be just the vent in their room is spreading mold spores every night when they're sleeping. It's wild. Man, that's something. Wow, that's, you know, it's crazy to think about. So when you guys do a workup on a patient, you know, like, for example, when I'm when I'm doing a workup in the clinic, sometimes we'll get like a CBC, we'll get a BMP, which is a metabolic panel, lets us know about their electrolytes, their kidney function, get a CMP if we want to check out their liver. Sometimes you do a urinalysis, you look at their uh, lipid panel, see how their cholesterol levels are doing. But, you know, you're talking about this urine test. I've actually never ordered it before. So I'm just wondering, like, what does your workup look like when you're working up a patient? Yeah, so I'll do I'll do those general tests for sure, 100%. Those are actually the first things I go to. And then we'll start testing more. But I listen to their symptomology. Okay. Uh, for me, the I remember I had this patient who, who did a lot of sports reporting. And yeah. I was like, and she's like, every time I do an interview, I forget the question I'm going to ask or the question I just asked. But it wasn't until she told me, she's like, hey, you know what? Sometimes it just doesn't feel like real life. Like I feel like I'm in a dream. I said, oh. Oh, okay. <laughs> so again, the, it, it's multi-systemic, so it's hard to say. But when you just hear, you have to take a good history and hear when did it come on. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes they're like, I don't know, I had just haven't been the same since I moved to my apartment. Oh. Then you have these telltale signs. Be, you know, so you could take those tests, but it would behoove you if they're giving you those clues. Gotcha. Then to go, let me give you. Let's take a mycotoxic plan. I, I do the ones from Great Plains, and it's for me. It's just quantitatively, I can see if it's really high, then I can see if we address it, mm-hmm. you know, whether there's remediation or you move out, if it's, you know, if you're at the end of your lease or something, then we can measure it again. And I've seen it drop much lower. And not only clinically, they're feeling better, but also quantitatively, we see it. And it's beautiful. it's beautiful to see. 
That's so cool, man. Next, I wanted to talk about babies. We all love babies. So when it comes to babies, I know you did some product reviews on diapers. I think this is like a really, really big deal because I, I get parents coming in all the time, my pediatric patients getting diaper rashes, and they're always curious about the the most up-to-date stuff on diapers. So is, can you give us some uh, some information on diapers? Yeah, yeah. So on my I did episode 48, I did a whole knowledge bomb segment on diapers. I spoke so about cool. I spoke about what you find in diapers and then the product review. I reviewed some of the best diapers out there and know that there are really good diapers out there, but conventional ones like Huggies or Pampers, there can be sensitivities developed by the child. You mentioned diaper rash. Well, there's yeah. fragrances in there, fragrance being, again, the umbrella term for many different chemicals that a child could be sensitive to. Yeah. And it, de- it depends. Look, I never got diaper rash. I handled Huggies and Pampers when I was young. But we have to think about, again, cumulatively, what the yep. child is exposed to. What's the health of the mom when she was pregnant, right? What was she eating? Is this kid coming out, you know, exposed to a lot of stuff? So it, it's not everyone's going to be affected by Pampers yeah. or Huggies, which is what I'm saying. But again, there's lotions in there. Uh, dyes, chlor- chlorine, dioxin, VOCs, those are volatile organic compounds. You know, that's why some yeah. campers smell really, you know, chemically yeah. fresh. Yeah. The, the children are being affected by this polyurethane, the plastic. And then what the issue is, these absorbent polymers that suck up the urine, right? Uh-huh. That's the problem that kids are being really sensitive to. So I go over all the brands. If I remember from the top of my head, I know that the Honest Company made a pretty good one. That's Jessica Alba's Jessica company. Alba. Jessica yep. Alba. Yeah. So we said that that company made, was pretty good in comparison to the others. I go over a few more. I think there was a bamboo one that was really good. But yeah, I go over all of the ones, materials that they use, the ones that are free of, they'll say free of dyes, free of fragrances, free of polyurethane, free uh, the polymers are there, maybe minimized or free of that. So if your child's getting diaper rash, if your child is getting any dermatitis, eczema, itching, infections around the diapers, then just think about making that change, you know, mm-hmm. and seeing if they improve. It's just, it's it's worth it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, how about formula? Yeah, so formula on episode 37, I went over all, I mean, this was extensive because formula is a hard one because yeah. in my opinion, there's no really good, good formulas out there now. The formulas that are out there, like Similac, Enfamil, those are utilizing non-organic ingredients. And I have a problem when dairy is, well, I have a problem with overall dairy consumption over and over. I think it does affect people's health for sure, especially people who are hormonally sensitive. I see it a lot in women. But they, they're using conventional dairy in there. We know what these cows are being fed. We know that it's a more inflammatory profile from the get-go, antibiotics, hormones. And then they have different, uh, like soy in there that's not organic. And then all you just look at the ingredients and they're pretty oh, yeah. extensive. Enfamil, all right, vitamins, minerals for immune health. Also, it's got a little corner on the corner over here. It says non-GMO, all right, no artificial growth hormone. Interesting, okay. It says non-GMO, but it also says ingredients not genetically engineered, but trace amounts of genetically engineered material may be present in this product crazy. Similac is the second one. And it's pretty much what I notice when analyzing these formulas is they're pretty much the same thing. They pretty much have the same ingredients in the same way. So this is the same thing, the Similac, no artificial growth hormones, um, no organic certification, can't prove me anything, can't prove no GMOs. Um, it has a, it has an asterisk about genetically modified. I mean, it's literally the same formula as this Enfamil. 
And everything I said just goes the same for this. Stay away from it. Before I move to the better ones, this Nutramigen, which is actually the hypoallergenic formula by Enfamil. And this is the, the non-dairy one. This doesn't have rice, which is great, but it's also non-organic, doesn't say anything about genetically modified ingredients. And guess what? Some of the first ingredients are genetically modified foods, corn syrup solids, vegetable oil. It's got soy, sunflower oil. Remember I was talking about inflammatory, non-organic milk, corn starch. You see, what I, you see what I'm getting at? You look at the forms of the vitamins, the, vitam the minerals, poorly absorbed forms, unknown sourcing. So if your child has a dairy allergy, unfortunately, I I'm not gonna recommend this one either, okay? Oh man, okay, so why don't, why don't we get to a little bit more light? We need a little bit more light in our life. Okay, so let's go into the organic ones. One of the popular ones, especially on Instagram that I was getting a lot of people requesting, and I've actually known some people to use it, is Holly. Holly's the German formula, right? The German infant formula, and um, it's worldwide popular. Uh, it's organic, non-GMO, biodynamic, right? That's the next step from organic, right? And biodynamic means using a holistic or ecological approach to farming and ethical practices. It's just, it's organic, but the next step up, okay? They pride themselves on the highest quality in terms of adulterants, right? So not worrying about pesticides, herbicides, insecticides, food coloring, preservatives. So already, I like that, okay? I think the biggest mistake that Holly made is to include fluoride in their in their formula, because now you are supplementing fluoride, which shouldn't be in a child's diet, and especially in those formula of years, right? So child doesn't have teeth, why the hell is there fluoride holly, okay? So better than holly, again, not the best because it has milk, um, is the Earth's best organic dairy. This is the infant formula with iron, there's a non-iron one, okay? Almost to the T, it's the same thing as Enfamil and Similac, except a few things. It removed corn syrup solids. Okay, great. Um, again, as I said, the same thing with Holly, may make it a little less palatable, but I see a USDA organic label. Now I'm resting assured that my milk doesn't have antibiotics, hormones, pesticides, herbicides, insecticides. Now I'm not worrying that any of the food in here is genetically modified. It also has a non-GMO label. Okay, great, okay, great. Um, what I do like and what I didn't find in Holly that this has is prebiotics, right? And that's really important for me because I want to know that there's prebiotics, right? This has fructo, fructo oligosaccharides in here, that there's prebiotics in here to help assist the growth of the child's gut. So one thing I do like about this formula is that Earth Best kept that in mind, how important gut health is. And I know that who did this? Honest Company did the same thing. They added prebiotics into their formula. Now, Honest Company, I wouldn't say is as good because it, this one takes away the corn syrup solids, but Honest Company adds in glucose syrup solids. So it's basically just pure sugar as a second formula or third. But yeah, at this point, the best I found is Earth Best. I'm, I'm still not happy it has milk. I'm still not happy it has whey, but it's still better than the ones that I spoke about earlier. But I would absolutely stay away from like conventional ones like Similac and Enfamil mm -hmm. because man, I can't imagine the stuff in there going to a baby's body that it's developing. You, that's an inflammatory food that we're putting in a baby from the yeah. get go. And then they're developing something like eczema and we're going, I don't know why my baby has eczema. You know, let's just put this cream on the baby. When in yeah. the meantime, that's a body's way of getting rid of that crap. As of note, if anyone ever wants to review formulas, you can't return them to the supermarket. So now I'm stuck with 
a bunch of baby formulas that I'm never going to use. <laughs> but yeah, funny. yeah, about $120 worth of formula is in my pantry right now. So wow. So, so it sounds like honest, uh, Jessica Alba, what really inspired her, it seems like when she had kids, she really wanted the best thing for her kids. And that's, so it sounds like yeah. her company's up there yeah. with both of those. Yeah, 100%. And look, like, there's no perfect company out there, you know, and there's yeah. no perfect baby yeah. formula. In, in, in a perfect world, I would develop a baby formula that is made out of whole food ingredients, you know, really protein rich, fatty rich, really good, but that doesn't exist yet. So, you know, if anyone's listening and has an idea, we need a good baby formula. So please someone develop it. Right. That's so funny. Well, now I wanted to talk about coronavirus. Mm -hmm. uh, we just talked about social isolation, how it may not be as beneficial as, as one would expect. And, you know, I listened to your latest podcast and you had some pretty valid points. So what can you tell us about the numbers of infection and testing? Yeah, I think as we were talking about, this is just unprecedented. It's pretty wild what's going it's, on, yeah. especially in these pockets yeah. where we're seeing. I want to say off the get-go, like I always have fully believed that people are really sick. People are being, oh, hospitals are being overwhelmed. And I've always honored the people who are really putting themselves out there. It's, it's pretty incredible. And that's what we do. Like do no harm, prevention, treating the patient, everything. Like we are putting ourselves out there. And that's that's incredible, man. That's like human spirit. And that's why we become doctors, right? We want yeah. to help at all expenses at all by all means. What I do think at, we're at the point where we don't have an accurate number of deaths. We certainly don't have an accurate number of infections. Mm -hmm. And the way the World Health Organization put out the guidelines for the death certificates, really putting it out there that saying that, okay, look, they can not only die of coronavirus or with coronavirus, it's not just of dying of coronavirus, it could be with coronavirus. I think that there's no telltale sign of going okay, look, let's do the test. This person has coronavirus. Oh, and they died. Perfect. That's a yeah. solid number right there. Not mm -hmm. only are the tests inaccurate, but also the symptomology changes, right? Exactly. Coronavirus affects different systems, kidney, respiratory, digestive, heart failure. So we're starting to see a lot of that. So I think there are inaccuracies in the number, but I think the bigger inaccuracy is the the infections, man. And mm -hmm. what we saw, we the, the USC and the Stanford study, at least in California, there's a way more infections that we thought than 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 we originally, you know, uh, the old model that we were using. And and the belief is that the New England Journal of Medicine did the study on the pregnant women in New York City and mm -hmm. seeing that the infection rate was again higher. It was like 200 and. 50, I think, 250 people, women, but the infection rate was higher still, about 15% uh, infection rate, which is about which wow. is about five to 10, but yeah, of, of this pocket of women. But still, we don't have all the data, it's preliminary. Yeah. But the point I'm trying to make is that I think that, yes, people are, I, I know people are absolutely dying, but I think the mortality rate, when it's all said and done, based on how many infections there are, is going to be lower than we believed. Yeah. And I do think a lot of us, because so many people are asymptomatic. Of that New England Journal of Medicine study, there was 88% of the women were asymptomatic. Wow. Right? So imagine how many, and who knows, maybe I, I remember in January being really sick for two days out of nowhere, yeah. respiratory issues, shortness of breath, and then it just went away. How do I not know whether or not that was something that, you know, like, so we will never be able to see it, but I do think that coronavirus will be, a lot of us will be way more infected than we thought or the, the population. So mm -hmm. that's just where, where we're at. I think we're still flat-footed. We, we have no real protocols. We don't know how to help, which again, brings the conversation between us. It's like, we need to speak more about 
I spoke about my aunt in the Bronx who, who is in the hospital right now, right? Mm-hmm. She is morbidly obese. She's on diabetes medication. We spoke about comorbidities, the large yeah. population of people dying, having hypertension, diabetes, obesity. The bigger conversation is like how bad that socioeconomic class needs education, yeah. right? How, how much more we need to push in nutrition, lifestyle, right? Mm-hmm. All that stuff that we were talking about which largely preventative or even reversible when it yes. comes to hypertension and diabetes, where we could talk, work, help these people. And like, how are all these conversations about future pandemics, not even talking about metabolic health or nutrition, which is wild for me. Yeah. That's the big conversation. Like, how do we bring in public policy for better education? So again, the large majority of folks who are dying are of these comorbidities. How do we just get our population and Americans much, much healthier? I agree. That, that's where I'm at with all of that. I, I agree fully. Now, what, what are some naturopathic methods of improving respiratory health? Oh, yeah. I, lo- I love this question because a few weeks ago I did a show on this because it's very relevant, right? Yeah. The, the number one things that we need to think about when, it's, when it comes to respiratory health, and I'm not saying this prevents coronavirus, but certainly you better believe in the past few months, I've been making sure that I've been increasing my respiratory antioxidants. Antioxidants are number one for respiratory health, ascorbic acid, the vitamin C, mucin. Mucin you're getting, it's basically a structural protein that helps with mucociliary system, mucin, Mm -hmm. but it's also an antioxidant, which we're getting from prebiotic foods, jicama, asparagus, right? Onions, garlic, plant-based foods. That's, That's why we want more of that ascorbic acid, we know that it comes from bell peppers, uh, uh, citrus, glutathione, which is the master antioxidant that we have in the liver. Well, guess what? It's also helping that pro-inflammatory state, reduce the pro-inflammatory state in the lungs, Mm -hmm. reducing infection, glutathione. I've been using liposomal glutathione under my tongue since I heard the word coronavirus. Yeah. So very powerful. Now understand it's present in foods, but if you cook it, it's going to reduce it 30 to 50%. That's why you want liposomal glutathione ask your doctor, but why I use it. And then fat-soluble vitamins, vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin E. Those are really, really important. There are studies out there that show reduction in pneumonia uh, yeah. or increased pneumonia in children with low vitamin A, low, low glutathione. So for me, it's like, okay, if people are getting sick and dying from pneumonia or, or uh, pneumonia or acute respiratory distress syndrome, how can I optimize my respiratory antioxidants? So get in, get in those fat-soluble foods, vitamin A, go outside, vitamin D. You know, get in vitamin E. You can get those from plant-based foods. And if you eat meat, organ meats, even even you know, just red meat can get you that too if you if you choose to eat meat. But make sure it's high quality. Oh, absolutely. See, that's that's a wealth of knowledge right there. So I hope our, our followers enjoy that. Now, we're close to entering the last and most popular portion of our podcast. Uh, we had a bunch of questions submitted to you uh, through our Instagram yesterday. So I'm going to jump right into that. Question one came from Michael. He asks... What can you tell us about biological age and how can we decrease it? Yeah, so I did a show on telomeres to speak about this, how uh, yep. the rate of telomeres are associated with biological age, not the chronological. We, how, how, how young are we truly? So a lot of us, I know you have a really educated uh, audience out there. So most of us know what telomeres are. But I always liken it to the, you know, the shoelaces, the plastic at the end of the shoelaces yeah. uh, and the shoelace being our DNA or chromosome and then the, the, the plastic being those telomeres. And when they break, that it frays out. So for, for me, it was interesting when I started looking at the research on how to improve our bio, biological age and how to protect our telomeres. Obviously, we spoke about exercise being a major one always. Right. But when you look at 
lifestyle like smoking, there's a reduction in uh, the biological age. I think it was like seven years or so, mm-hmm. or about four, six or seven years. Then you look at obesity, same thing. But really, the number one thing that affected our biological age, hence our telomeres, was stress. Chronic, chronic stress, chronic cortisol. It was about 10 and a half years reduced chronological age when you have ongoing stress, which is wild, Mm -hmm. right? As Americans, we're always low-grade stress. Yeah, me living on the the West Coast, but being an East Coaster, I'm I'm already the go, go, go New York Minute stress guy already. So we have to, have to, have to, have to make sure that we have stress relieving techniques yeah. as, as practitioners, as, as not practitioners every day. What are we doing? Right. Mm-hmm. Are we turning our brain off? I don't care if it's Netflix. I don't care if it's meditating. I don't care if it's working out something that is reducing that cortisol. The stress is number one. It's pretty incredible. As a side note, speaking about environmental medicine, they did a study on police officers and office workers and their exposures to the uh, volatile chemicals that they're breathing in had an effect on their telomeres for the police officers versus the people working in an office that weren't being exposed to that smoke. The same thing was seen in, um, I think, a paper mill industry, the same thing, breathing all that stuff in. Mm -hmm. So know that air quality does actually affect our telomeres. So do you have a really nice filter in your house? Are you cleaning out the air in your house? Because air quality is something that we need to go into more. And I speak a lot about that on my show. That is so cool. Um, so question number two is by Annika. So she actually talked about plastics. Plastics with BPA have been shown to decrease fertility rates amongst women. I read your post on BPA-free is not any better. What is the latest research you have came across and do you have any recommendations? Yes. Yeah, so it's not any better. And plastic industry did a really clever thing and they, they just changed the analog of BPA to BPAS and BPAF which was great in the beginning, right? No more BPA, like it's not affecting our hormones anymore. Well, come to see that those analogs actually do have similar similar physiological effects, both in vitro and in vivo, right? So it's it's doing the same thing to our system. So for me, it's like, don't fall for what the plastic industry is saying. Don't forget the BPA free, you know, instead of getting a plastic water bottle that's BPA free, get a glass or stainless steel one, really simple, man. And it's like, you know, fill it up with water. If you are like, let's say you get a water filter that is plastic, fill it up, let it drain, and then quickly put it out there. You know, of course you're getting more leaching if you're using more acidic, hotter stuff. So certainly don't have a BPA free Tupperware and warming it up on the microwave. That, that, that's for sure going to affect you uh, or putting acidic foods and storing it in there. Instead, mm-hmm. get glass, get glass. glass. I have glass. Yeah, that's easy, a little bit more expensive, but long term lasts longer. These mm-hmm. are easy things, but certainly BPA free, the analogs BPA S and F aren't any better. Wow, that's good information. Question three comes from Sukman. Uh, he asks, what can you tell us about food sensitivity? Yeah, so food, I mean, the thing with food sensitivity I know a lot of naturopathic doctors who love testing for food sensitivity. One, I don't think it's accurate. They test IgG, right? So food okay. allergies are the IgE. That's the anaphylactic shock. We know that. But IgG is going to be how your immune system, it's the intolerance, right? The sensitivity to certain foods. For me, the, the testing that you can get online for like $90 and, you know, it'll tell you, oh, I'm allergic to lemons, and but I eat lemons and I don't understand why. There's a lot of cross-reactivity issues. Elimination diet is the best if you have food sensitivity to start seeing which foods you truly are sensitive to. But the bigger question, again, thinking the way that we should is 
what's the root cause of your food sensitivity, right? Yeah. And a lot of that is coming from gut dysfunction, gut permeability. Yes. Mm-hmm. With that gut permeability, then you're getting those proteins coming into your blood and then your immune system is reacting to those, let's say, pineapple proteins, which you were able to eat pineapple two years ago, but now you can't even take a bite out of it. So mm-hmm. what that lends to me is if your elimination diet, you identify the foods, take them away, start repairing the gut, start working with the gut, get rid of the foods that are affecting the gut. If you have an infection, work on the infection, work on the stomach acid if it's really, if you have poor amount of stomach acid work on those tight junctions, prebiotics, probiotic foods. How do we work as the gut on the gut as a whole? And usually we see improvement over time mm-hmm. and these people can start reintroducing those foods in there pretty easily. That's what I say about food sensitivity. Okay, perfect. Uh, so question number four by Andrew, he says, I drink energy drinks daily. Can you give us some product reviews? Are there any healthy ones? Um, no, not, not, <laughs> not, not in terms, not in terms of the like 7-Eleven energy drinks that yeah. you get, you know, like the Monster or Rockstar or or the um, Red Bull. I don't think energy drinks should be given to children for sure, yeah. Yeah. Uh, or teenagers. We uh, adults maybe they can handle it much better, but still, when you look at the profile, of what's in energy drinks, it's 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 not good, you know. Yeah. Instead, I I'm I'm even more a proponent of getting really good quality coffee, which is having you know, uh, maybe 75% the amount that you, of caffeine that you have in energy drinks or utilizing things like adaptogens, right, to help your adrenal glands, right, or using utilizing ginseng every day, rhodiola, which is my favorite adaptogen. That's really helpful for athletics and energy, right? Don't take it at night. Matcha every single day. That's, that's, that's more whole food-based energy drinks. I love that stuff much, much more. And if you're using it for working out, start looking into other things that, you know, really uh, increase nitric oxide in the body, get that blood flowing. Green leafy vegetables, man. (laughs) Green leafy vegetables, man. Yeah, exactly. Like sometimes I had like this concoction, I would make green leafy vegetables shake with some beets with the beet juice. And I just drink it before the gym, increasing nitric oxide. You can can eat watermelon, uh, oranges, citrulline, right? Like these are all things that help. Let's say you, you want more energy for the gym. You can just utilize those things, but get off the energy drinks. They use food yeah. coloring. They use synthetic sweeteners. It's just, it's not good. Agreed. Agreed. Uh, question number five comes from Michaela. She says, I've learned that farmed salmon contains artificial food coloring. What are your thoughts about this? They do. They use synthetic astaxanthin, which is an antioxidant that usually wild salmon are eating from krill, right? That's, that's okay. what gives it its color, right? Mm-hmm. They eat so much krill and shrimp that they, they become that pink. And we go, oh, salmon's pink. Well, really, in reality, salmon's kind of a grayish, has more of a grayish hue. I don't like synthetic chemicals being injected to the food that I'm eating, period. Yeah. Uh, and I myself being a vegan, but like, even if I did eat salmon, I would make sure that I'm getting wild caught, cold water, high quality. The last time I checked, I remember a lot of the physicians were approving of Vital Choice salmon, which mm-hmm. is shipped from, shoot, I think uh, maybe Alaska, but really, really good quality salmon. I think that's the best in the consensus where of the people I speak to. But really important is just staying away from that farm salmon, more importantly, because of feed. What are they giving exactly. them? Right? They're giving them greens, the genetically modified stuff, inflammatory profile. Guess what? Guess what that tissue is what the profile of the tissue looks like that you're eating, right? Mm-hmm. So again, if I was a meat eater, 
it would only be about quality. It would have to be the highest quality because those profiles, those omega profiles that you're eating are much different and oh, yeah. beneficial for your health. Wow. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, so last question, we ask every single one of our guests on this podcast this question. Uh, what is your definition of medspiration? Yeah, I like this question, man. And meds, I love the spiration because obviously that's pushing towards the inspiration. The med part, at least for me, the way I see it as a practitioner looking into integrative medicine is just us in medicine being inspired to work more together, being in the middle of that Venn diagram so we can maximize these patient outcomes, right? Prevention, utilizing our superpowers as DOs, MDs, NDs, all together so we can go, well, damn, we're really shifting health in the in America and in the world. That's what mespiration means for me. That's awesome, man. So, Dr. G, where can people find you and follow you? My handle is at docor.g. There's an underscore at the end. And the podcast is Heal Thyself Podcast. You can yes. find that across all boards. We got a lot of good guests. After the quarantine, man, I booked so many good guests. I, I saw you have Dr. Mark Hyman coming on, which is amazing. Yes. I'm trying to get him to come on. He's I'm the so man. excited. Yeah. So yeah, just high quality guests, like however we can help people. And it's not, oh, yeah. it's not just like, oh, this person talking about gut health. We have someone talking about subconscious traumas. We have exactly. meditation expert. We have sex therapy expert, right? Orgasm expert, like all across the board. Cause what's health? Health is, is multifaceted, right? Multi-level. So how can we talk about health, not just from the physical, but from every other way. So this is like what you're doing, what we're doing. It's like, we're shifting the world, man. And, and, you know, I love, I love that you guys are doing this on your Instagram, on the show. It's beautiful work, man. Thank you, man. It's been an honor and privilege, Dr. G. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. Likewise. Likewise, dude. There you have it, folks. I hope you guys left this one feeling med-spired. If you learned something new or if you genuinely enjoyed this episode, please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and rate it five stars. Medspiration is a 501c3 nonprofit charity organization. The more you help us grow, the more people we're able to help.